Hey, everyone. We love our sponsors because they allow us to bring you this podcast. So you should love our sponsors, too. And this week, the sponsor is especially good. It's Spotless, a new TV series from the Esquire Network. It's a sexy and bold drama laced with dark humor. Learn more about Spotless by downloading Coming Clean, a roundtable podcast that goes behind the scenes of TV's best dark dramas. And then you can tune into the Spotless series premiere November 14th at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock central. Welcome to Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by senior writer Leah Leibovitz. Hello, hello. Shalom. And deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Sup. Sup. Later in the show, we'll be talking with our boss, Alana Newhouse. And our guest Gentile is Albert Moeller. And if you're a Southern Baptist, he's like your pope. They don't have a pope, but like he's their chief. Baptizer in chief. He's their baptizer in chief, basically. But first, some news of the Jews. So um, the Israeli Defense Forces, because they don't get enough money from Israeli tax dollars and from our massive amount of federal aid to Israel, they have fundraisers in Hollywood. And last weekend, a Hollywood fundraiser netted $31 million for the Friends of the Israeli Defense Forces. That's F-I-D-F, if you're a millennial who likes acronyms, or FIDF. Stars in attendance included Antonio Banderas, Jason Alexander, Mark Wahlberg, Jason Siegel, Liev Schreiber, and Gene Simmons of the band Kiss. I feel like this is Howard Stern's dream of an Israeli, <laughs> of an IDF fundraiser. I feel like he did the booking. Uh, is it good for the cause when George Costanza and the guy from Kiss are the public face of your fundraisers? And I don't know, it's like, do other armies have foreign fundraisers? Are we, is there a Friends of the American Green Berets fundraiser in Uganda right now? Like, is, I didn't know this existed. Starring some of their greatest entertainers and movie stars. Yeah, yeah. Starring Akon. Where's he from again? Akon's Nigerian? Nigerian. Like, is Akon headlining a Nigerian fundraiser for Friends of the American Army? Oh, my God. Akon should have every fundraiser <laughs> ever. He should be at that Friends of the Idea. Totally, yeah. Him and Friends his seven of the wives. Be the opener. Him and his seven wives. Doesn't he have, he's the one with multiple wives, right? No, I don't think so. Absolutely. Think so. Then why is he singing about being so lonely? Yeah. I'm going to Google this while we talk about it. Leo, why does the IDF, why does your country have foreign fundraisers for their army? Answer for your country. Am, am I answering as a token Israeli now? Yep. Are, yep. are you microaggressive? Yep. I thought this is a safe space, Mark. Yep. This actually is a safe space. We have padded walls in here. And not, it is. <laughs> the definition of a safe space. Akon, this is from Google. Akon says he has multiple wives because, quote, I don't know one woman that can satisfy a man's every need, unquote. And that is exactly why we have fundraisers for the IDF. <laughs> I don't know of one budget that could satisfy our needs. The endless craving for That's weapons. exactly right. <laughs> But look, I, I think it's a likely pairing. Like, it's it's Antonio Banderas. It's Mark Wahlberg. They, you know, they're not unfamiliar with bombs. Boom. Oh. Um, and they've done some projects that they're like, don't yeah, that, talk that, about. That evening netted more money than Antonio Banderas' <laughs> 18 last films have made. He's like, yeah, I'm in that Flonase commercial. Who? I, he's like the voice of the bee. Is he? I think so. <laughs> I He has a sexy voice, though. But not when he's congested. Uh, so the amazing thing is that all these guys who played tough guys in the movies are there to raise funds for people actually tough guys. For like, really tough guys. Ah, I am Thoro. I could spell the letter D with my sword. And this Israeli guy's like, I, I am Avi. I could shoot the guy from eight miles with my gun. Like, what are you talking about? It's I could amazing. Kill, I could kill you with my pinky I could right kill now. you with my but eyes. They're like, wait, the guy from Seinfeld. Cool. <laughs> I mean, the most exciting person there, let's be real, was Jason Siegel, my yes. shirt. Is he your Bashir? Yeah, I like to think so. Does Be- does Ben, your yeah. boyfriend, know that? He's totally on board. This is this is on your He's list his of, also. Of, of people <laughs> you're allowed to sleep with with impunity. 
No, I mean, I wouldn't really. It's, it's more like of a spiritual thing. They're not, it's not physical. Okay. They're, they're not far, far enough, enough along in their cohabitation that they've made that list yet. That's a sort of I like. I brought this on myself. I did, I did say yeah, it first. You, did. So. you, you and your wife have, though. Absolutely. She gets a tool Gawande, and I get Natalie Portman. She gets a tool Gawande. She's, she gets Akon. She's a nerd. Listeners, you're, you have now gotten more insight into the Oppenheimer, you know, sexual psychodynamics than than you ever probably. Did. I, dress, the funny thing is I like... dress up as I put on a stethoscope and Indian blackface <laughs> and read New Yorker articles to her, and she dresses up as Queen Amidala. There you you see. There it is. That is unbelievable. There it is. But I think the funny thing is, like, it was probably harder to get Jason Siegel there, who was part of like, ooh, Israel. Like for Jews, it's actually, and for Jewish actors, it's it's more of a thing. Then you can get like. Mark Wahlberg was like, sure, I'll go. Do you think that there were celebrities who were rejected who wanted to do this, but then they said no? No, no one. Like the other guy in Wait, Kiss? I want to go back to to come. So your point was interesting, right? It's actually a little more vexed if you're Jewish. I think. Because you're because kind of, a, is... you're doubling down as a Jewy actor. Yeah, I know. As Natalie Portman says, but they should all be doing it. But it's it's fraught. Uh, Leo, you were at the Chabad conference. I was. Right? So Chabad, those, this is, this is public service announcement for Gentiles and for many, many Jews who don't know who those guys are, who stand on the corner in many metropolitan areas and on college campuses and say, are you Jewish? Are you and Jewish? And racially profile you. And racially profile you. And if you look a little Jewy, or even if you don't, uh, if it's a slow hour, they'll say, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? And then if you say yes, they ask you to put on tefillin, little prayer boxes. Or Not they if give, you're a lady. Well, then they give you Shabbos candles, right? And say, so you can light them for your family. So you can light them for your family. And But anyway, they are these worldwide emissaries. They go out and try to return lapsed Jews to the fold wherever you go. It's no, a, that's, that's not what they do. What, wait a second. That's among the things they do. And uh, we love them for it. And they have a big conference in Manhattan. Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Brooklyn, where how many is it? It's like all thousands of them who have gone out to the far corners of the earth to reach lapsed Jews or to provide Jewish life for Jews in, in the diaspora come in and party once a year. This is the men's conference. The the wives, the Rebetzin Note, Rebetzinim, the, 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 the rabbi's wives have their own conference where they talk about whiffery. But you went to the men's conference. What I was went it? to the men's conference. What was it like? If you've never had dinner with 5,200 rabbis, I highly recommend it. There were approximately 2,700 people named Mendel because at some point <laughs> one of the speakers was like, how many – he was a Mendel. He was like, how many Mendels in the house? And about 2,700 people was like, yeah. How many of your wives are named Chaya Mushka? Listen. They all stood up. They, they're amazing. Uh, they are absolutely amazing. They have representatives in 90 countries uh, and, and they uh, – they, what, what can I say? I'm, I'm, I love them. They do the Lord's so work. So when you, they say, are you Jewish, what do you say? I, like I on say, the street. yeah. Because I have Let's like the party. six stages of like Chabad I know. Stuff. And, and, you know, that's, that's you weird deny, You deny? You deny like what it takes to get you. You could be like in front of a, of a firing squad in a, the next coming of the, third, uh, the Fourth Reich. And you would proclaim, if they said, are you Jewish, you'd start the Shema. But when a Lubavitcher on the street corner says, are you Jewish, you look for ways out. Like, no, ah! first I feel like there, there's like... There's anger, like, what are you saying? Like, you know, what are you saying? I look Jewish? Like, you're profiling me. This is offensive. Then there's, like, guilt because you're like, oh, I am Jewish. Wait. And then there's, like, but then you're kind of, like, you're embarrassed. You feel shame because you're like, what, why am I saying no? But then you're just like, I'm trying to, like, go to Whole Foods, you know? Like, leave me alone. <laughs> here's there are the more amazing. stages. It's pretty here's, complicated. Here's the real amazing thing about them. They're organized Jews. They're Jews who could actually do things on a really, really large scale. Not start like, you know, a committee that then has a subcommittee that then discusses budget right. and then splinters into four other groups. But people who say, hey, there's an earthquake in Nepal. We'll be the only ones who have a helicopter and we'll actually save lives. That is astonishing. Right. Like, you the know, Jews shows... could do things 
beyond belief. And what's funny is that the Gentiles think we're like massively organized. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the, you know, the modern orthodoxy is in shambles. Conservative Judaism is in shambles. Reformed Judaism is in shambles. Secular Judaism is Christian. And then, you know, we get mail, by the way, from people who think we attack the secular people too much, which is funny since we're all pretty secular. But that's Just for later. Speak for yourself. And and but um, but the Lubavitchers. Yeah. Like if there's an earthquake, you know, who shows up Scientologists and Lubavitchers. What fascinates me, though, is so so these people are called shluchim, right. uh, the, emissaries. The, the emissaries yep. to different places. So I'm really dying to know how these guys are picked. Like, you know, Moshe, you're really cool. You get UC Santa Cruz, baby. <laughs> I was like, uh, Chaim, uh, how do you like Azerbaijan? Because you're going to spend the rest of your life there. It's, it's like that weird. scene in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon. Mormon. Like, <laughs> so I was just out at they BYU. They all want to get to Orlando. Yeah. At, when I was out at BYU, I, I heard about how there is the ceremony where they get their white envelopes and they find out where they're going on mission. And one guy opens, he's like, sweet, Paris. Yeah. And another guy opens, it's like, awesome, uh, Mongolia. <laughs> But here's the thing. The Chabad missions are for life. That's it. Right? You go, yeah. you stay. You, you go and you stay and you never come back. Never come back. So if, if the envelope says Azerbaijan, you're like, really? Right. Really, right. guys? Hey, Mormons, you know what? You get to come back after two years. Yeah. You want to know what hardcore is? The Lubavitchers die there. They stay there. Drink your coffee, baby. Drink it strong and drink it black. Better not think of the baby. I'm never coming back. Never coming back. I'm never coming back. Former presidential candidate and former Minnesota congresswoman Michelle Bachman was on a trip to Israel last week. And toward the end of the trip, she appeared on a Christian radio program, and this is what she said. We recognize the shortness of the hour, and that's why we as a remnant want to be faithful in these days and do what it is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each one of us to be faithful in the kingdom and to help bring in as many as we can, even among the Jews, share Jesus Christ with everyone that we possibly can. Because again, he's coming soon. So here's Michelle Bachman basically saying, like, when time is short, like, go convert some Jews. And a lot of Jews, you know, they're upset about this. This is ev- this is posted on, you know, right-wing watch blogs, like evidence of their perfidy is that they want to convert us. I don't see the problem. I want to see the I want to see the deal first. I mean, what are they offering? So, eternal salvation? If the offer is good, you know, let's discuss. Let's sit down and have a reasonable conversation. Eternal salvation and eternal friendship with Michelle Bachman. Yeah, see, that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. She's not in politics anymore. Like, she's do. I don't like what she's doing now. It was one thing when she was like kind of funny running for president, and um, saying Obama had chutzpah. That Chutz- was like her real offense in my book. Like, I, <sighs> she's, it's going to be hard to recover from that. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. She has some real chutzpah, I have to say. It's a lot of chutzpah, Michelle. Trying to convert all of us. Here's not the, even telling us what we get. So I'd like to make an offer. We've so this week we have Al Mohler, Southern Baptist theologian, on our show in just a moment. Michelle Bachman, we would like you to come on and give us your best pitch. We might bargain with you. We might try to talk you down. But we'll listen. That's the thing about, you know, proselytizing. It's basically a, a, a negotiation. It's a business negotiation. It's like, make us an offer. Don't just say, we need to bring you to Christ. Be like, okay, look, here's the deal. <laughs> you know, you, you, don't, you don't have to do, you know, Rosh Hashanah with the in-laws or, you know, your sister or whoever anymore. And you could have 
X and Y in return. That that could be, we could we could talk. Yeah, like what's the swag no? like? Right, the swag because like your... Jewish swag is pretty good. You got like those yarmulkes with the dates on the inside. You get a lot of holidays. Mitzvahs. You get so many days off. Also, here's yeah. the thing: every person really trying to get you to sign any membership or anything has like those different levels of membership. Don't just say like, "Oh, you're signing at like the thousand dollar level." Be like, "Could you want? Do you want to be like a a friend of Christ first, and like a contributor of Christ, then like a patron of Christ?" Christ. You're right. asking. You're Don't... asking go straight to Platinum Christ because I can't afford Platinum Christ right now. You're asking now, Michelle Bachman to give us like a multi-level marketing scheme? Like a hundred, <laughs> like $150 level in which you're sort of like, yeah, like a, like a family membership type of thing. And like the first month's thing. free. Right. Have fun, Jesus, in the darkest night. Have fun, Jesus, in the morning bright. Have fun, Jesus, in the face of those. Before we get to our guests, I am excited to say a quick word about our new sponsor. It's a TV show from the Esquire Network. It's Spotless. It's a sexy and bold drama laced with dark humor. It tells the story of a troubled man whose tidy life is turned upside down when his outlaw brother crash lands into his world, forcing dark secrets of the past into the light and getting both of them fatally involved in... Yes, organized crime. It's about Gene, one of those guys who you hire to come clean up your crime scene. And it's played against a backdrop of his cleaning business, which is called Crime Scene Cleaning. They're gangsters, corruption, drugs, death. And it's based on my life. It's based on Liel's life. Did you know that? <laughs> Liel. I was a crime scene. Did you, were you a crime scene cleaner in Israel? Oh, oh yes. Okay, so Liel's going to watch this show and report back to us. It's wicked cool, as we would say in Boston, Massachusetts. Gene, Martin, and their dysfunctional family struggle to gain control over life, business, and their shared crime scene cleaning destiny. No one gets away clean. Find out what happens when the mob needs a little help cleaning up. Spotless premieres November 14th, 10 o'clock for those of you in the big cities on the coast, 9 o'clock in the Heartland Central on the Esquire Network. Some big news at Tablet. First, as we've promised you, there are live shows coming up. Two of them, in fact. December 15th, we will be in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, for a show at the Washington, D.C. Jewish Community Center. Uh, you can learn more about that upcoming show. You can buy tickets, which are, in fact, going fast. They always say going fast, but, like, if my Facebook page is any indication, they really are going fast. Uh, it's at WashingtonDCJCC.org, and we will be there. You can, you can reach out and touch the hems of our garments. January 25th, 2016, we will be at American Hebrew Academy in Greensboro, North Carolina, because as we all know, if you're going to make a boarding school for Jews, put it in Greensboro, North Carolina. Find out more about that upcoming show at AmericanHebrewAcademy.org. I think it's open to the public. Is there... Do you think there's much of a public for us in Greensboro? I'm sure there's a yes. huge, huge listenership. Is it going to be Southern Baptists, like yeah. Al Moller's people? No, who no are, there's so, Jews so in Greensboro. But the most important news here at Tablet is that we have a print edition starting up, like, tomorrow. Um, and it's being edited by our editor-in-chief and um, general superintendent, kind of our favorite Jewish guest. Our favorite Jew, period. It's our favorite Jew. Our and favorite person. Jewess. And it's not just Our leader. It's not just because she signs our paycheck. She actually doesn't sign our paychecks. Nope. No. <laughs> Does Wayne sign our paychecks? Nope. Some accountant yeah. with mm-hmm. illegible scrawl mm-hmm. signs our paychecks. Um, Alana Newhouse, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is her first time on Unorthodox. She doesn't. She lets us out of the office to come do this. She has no idea what we do. What are you talking about? I actually, I'm completely honored that I get to be on Unorthodox. I was like, 
I finally got asked to be the, on the podcast. You've made it. It took a while. It did take a while. Actually, it did take a while, and I had to do an enormous project in order to get on here. So what's the project? Okay, so we are a website with like 50 billion unique visitors a month. Um, and now, and we're a podcast or three. And now we're we're what? We're a print magazine? What? We are a print magazine. We're going back to the future. Um, I believe that print has a real print has real potential, particularly for uh, small audiences. Um, and we have uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great pitch for a magazine. <laughs> it really is. It's terrific. Um, yeah, but now I so I have this theory, which I kind of lay out in my editor's letter that magazines used to small magazines used to um, be like cocktail parties. They were for a small audience, for a particular audience, and they prided themselves on specificity. It was okay to actually speak to a particular audience and not want to be read by millions of people. Um, And as a result, you could speak more I don't want to say you could speak more candidly, but I will say that you could engage with topics that were a little bit more controversial in ways that maybe were used shorthand. There was just, I think magazines were more small subcultures. And my sense in the last 20 years is that a lot of magazines have actually lost that personality and they're not distinct anymore. And part of what they lost in that distinctiveness is the is the imperative to be a little particular, maybe even bordering on obnoxious. Little freaky deaky? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can say a little freaky deaky. I mean, I and I actually mentioned that the... Or to use a word you once taught me, wackadoo. Wackadoo. <laughs> right. <laughs> we were talking about someone we knew in common. You're like, yeah, I mean, he's pretty wackadoo. He, yeah. I, 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 I even remember. I being called that behind <laughs> my back, but okay. Yeah, we call you other wrong. things. I know. <laughs> we call you other things. Um, but there's somebody actually asked me, and I mentioned this in the piece. They said, you know, we were talking, and a friend of mine said, "Where is the Kanye West of magazines? Like this thing that is that half the time is com- is insufferable and obnoxious, but other the other half the time is brilliant, and you actually have to pay attention to it to figure out which is which." And that there was a way in which I think a lot of magazines were like that. Mm-hmm. They they were happy to be so exclusive for their audience that they may be even offensive or certainly off-putting to others. And I don't want to make it seem like this magazine is designed to be off-putting to readers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly the sales technique that the publisher would be thrilled I was making this morning. But I do think that the point of this is is that it's a party, and it's a specific party that I think is kind of what we're looking for because in the age of the internet, it feels like every space is for everyone. It's a party right, with like so a forty dollars cover charge. You've 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 you've, you've mentioned but free drinks all night. The i the i word. So you know you're 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 the the founder, the editor, the the guiding spirit of a very very Don't successful. Don't blame me. For... I do blame you. Don't it's all it was all you. We're all here because of you. And 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 here you are, um, you know, presiding over this very very successful, well regarded, amazing. Uh, internet publication that we all ha- have the good fortune of working for, and you're starting a print magazine. There is no way to interpret this as any anything else but a sort of you know screw you to online publishing. No, that I mean, if you want to be you, you can interpret it that way. 
but I don't. Well, I mainly I'm want to. You. I mainly want, want to do. goad you into some sort of right. you know rant. So uh, the, my feeling is, is this that is a radio show where we where right. we say obnoxious things to get. To I get believe listeners. he says we a couple I know. times. Yeah. I know he says we. Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe that. I used an analogy when we announced the magazine, which is that I feel like the internet is a buffet and magazines are meals that get served to you in a restaurant. I believe that. I don't believe there are times where you just, you need a buffet. You want to go and you want to get something quickly and you want to eat something. You want to find out the news of the day. You want to find out what's happening. You want to find out um, maybe you want to read criticism about a movie that you're going to see that weekend. Maybe you want to read a piece about, um, you know, what's happening at Yale. Maybe you want to read a piece about what's happening in Israel. Um, news analysis, um, these a kind of general information that you need to live your daily life. And I think the internet is right for that. Why do you want, you don't want to wait a month and read on paper what happened this morning you know, in the news. By the same token, I feel that there's some higher order content that is for a different part of our existence. I don't want to say a soul because then that'll send you off on some rant about God and religion and I don't want that. But I mean that there are pieces that are designed to make, to change our minds and to change our minds and to move us and to, um, to transform literally our brains. I don't think that that's the kind of um, content that can be absorbed from the internet. So what, like, what's in the magazine? Technically speaking, this is the sneak preview. This is the official sneak preview for unorthodox listeners. Um, okay. Because we haven't really um, shown anything. We've kept everything under wraps. Um, but what I can tell you is that uh, the magazine has a bunch of really weird features. It has a terrific well that includes... Wait, wait. What's a well? A well is the middle of the magazine. Okay. With um, the big, long pieces. big, long pieces. And like great old magazines, we have um, super long pieces. So the pieces in this issue of the magazine are... um, We have a great piece by Anthony Grafton, the Princeton historian, on Arnaldo Mamigliano, his teacher, who was uh, the legendary Italian Jewish historian. And we have a piece by Brett Ratner, the film director, writing about Miami Jews and what he calls the invention of American cool. So it's like you can either read about Italian dead Renaissance historian you haven't heard of, or film director Brett Ratner, who what made what Rush he, Hour, Rush, Rush Hour Two, Rush Hour Two, Rush, Rush, Rush Hour, Hour Two, yeah. talking about Miami Jews. Right. You also okay. have a bunch of other choices, okay, <laughs> which are equally um, as amazing. amazing and different from each other. Um, one of them is I don't. Well, let me see. If I were to ask you, what do you think the latest craze in Japanese manga is? I would say grownups don't read comics. But Liel does. But you'd be wrong. Right. Liel, what would you say? Well, I would say Holocaust-themed entertainment, of course. <laughs> but that's my answer to everything. <laughs> everything. doesn't really count. Well, the really fascinating thing is, is that the there is a craze in Japanese manga for Anne Frank. Um, <laughs> now, part of that is because Japanese culture is just 
particularly fascinated by adolescent girls, right? Um, and the notion of uh, a story that's essentially about a girl becoming a woman and becoming independent is just like incredibly interesting to them. Um, in fact, it's so interesting that um, Anne Frank became a model for adolescent girls and a tampon company actually developed um, a tampon called Anne's Day. And people would um, call the day that they got their period Anne's Day. Um, <laughs> Because in the you book, mean the everyone... day that they heard the knock on the door. Because <laughs> right. like, well, everyone call for Anne Flo, like here, they call Anne's day. Um, but the um, the actual the story is, is deeper than that. In fact, and it's about um, it's written by a terrific writer named Robert Rand, um, who is based in Japan, and he writes about how actually what's terrific about this is that it gets at a lot of the issues of Japanese uh, culture of apology. And what they, how they see themselves or don't see themselves as victims in World War II. They see themselves both as they clearly understand that they were perpetrators, but they also see themselves as victims. And it's complicated for them. And so in some senses, um, Anne becomes a foil for their own conversation about their own experience in World War II. So it's this amazing piece that's completely layered anyway we um it's it's beautifully designed it's essentially designed like a manga where we um actually got the rights to use a bunch of panels from the most famous ones and, and the thing about the art which which really struck me when when i saw the preview it really kind of helps you rethink a story that is so incredibly familiar to you that you don't even bother thinking about it because you see those you know the manga style those large eyes it, it's actually really evocative of, of what the Anne Frank story is so do you know what this means for me? I don't actually have to ever go read The Diary of Anne Frank, which I've never read. You've never get, read get it? Get out of this room. Because I have the manga version coming out in Tablet out Magazine's print edition. I remember in college, one of my friends who was, I forget where she was from, but she was super waspy. And she said to me, she was like in a history class, and she's like, she was reading some book about the Holocaust. And she was like, Stephanie, this was really bad. <laughs> and I was like, bitch, please. Mm. Like, what? <laughs> And I had, and I, I couldn't even like c- talk to her. And I, I knew she really wanted me to be like, "Yes, you're right. It was really bad. I'm so glad you're reading about it now." As like a 20 year old. Hashtag Duke University moments. <laughs> this was like before Twitter. Oh, sorry. <laughs> By like oh, six months. Damn. <laughs> so, if people want to subscribe mm-hmm. to, uh, first of all, I tried to get everyone to call the print version tablet, and I feel like there was no buy in there. Could we start that now? No, we can't. Could we? T- <laughs> Absolutely not. Alana? Yes, sure. Okay. So if people want to... Then we're going to go to Tarjay after this. Yeah. So if people want to subscribe to Tablet, colon, the print magazine, how do they do it? You can text the word tablet, T-A-B-L-E-T, to 66866, and it will um, send back the link for subscription information. I had no idea. That's how you do it? We're in the future now. We are in the future. All right. Well, Alana Newhouse, editor-in-chief of Tablet and tabletmag.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And the magazine drops, to use a Kanye West word, when? Monday? Monday. Monday. So, yeah. So you're hearing this on Thursday. and There's still time to subscribe. Well, there's always time. Yeah, I know. know. But you could text it right now. You could text it right now. You could be texting right as we speak. Hit pause and go text tablet.
And now our world-famous feature, Gentile of the Week. We have a serious Gentile with us this week. Albert Moeller is president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of the book, We Cannot Be Silent, and the podcast, Thinking in Public, which I was a guest on. And if you want to hear him in his really uh, serious, slightly playful, but, but pretty serious Protestant, evangelical, Gentile mode, go listen to Thinking in Public, which is a really long and serious podcast. And it's, it's, it's where smart evangelicals go to query smart Jews like me. Um, but Al, uh, first of all, welcome on our show. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be with you. Um, I have to warn you that not only is this podcast shorter, but it's substantially less uh, serious and reverent than yours. Is that okay? <laughs> I'm glad to join with you. It'll be fun. All right. Yeah, we're, we're dumb, but we're fun. <laughs> so meet my friends, Liel and Stephanie. Um, and I know that you've come with a couple questions for us, which I really, really appreciate. But I, I'm going to ask you some questions that we're all about brutal honesty here. And I'm going to ask you some questions that come deep from the Jewish American id when you think, what do Jews think about uh, evangelical Protestants? We actually just talked about Michelle Bachman going on Tony Perkins show this week to say that it's more important than ever to convert the Jews. Um, and, I, and I actually had a friend who, who's Southern Baptist who used to attend seminars for Southern Baptists on specifically how to convert the Jews. I don't know if you ever taught any of those seminars. but And for the record, we are entertaining good offers. That's right. <laughs> we, we are convertible. So how important is it to convert the Jews? Is there, like, is there a special door prize at heaven if you've made a lot of Jewish converts? No, that's a fair question, Mark. I, there's no door prize. Uh, but uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that the, the gospel was sent to the Jew first and also to the Greek or, or to the Gentile, and there, there is a priority there. And uh, there ought to be on the part of any Christian a, a sense of humility, as the Apostle Paul says, that the promises were originally given to Israel. We, were, we are a wild branch grafted onto the olive tree. And, uh, and so what, what the Apostle Paul says at the end of the day, and, and this is normative for Christians, is that we owe all persons the gospel of Christ. And uh, we believe that salvation comes to those who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and, uh, and we owe that to all people, and there are no exemptions. And so I, I think the best way I know to put it is, historically, there's a priority to the Jewish people, uh, and, and that should be out of humility. But uh, the, the main point is we owe the gospel to all people. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, here's, here's what I don't get. Like, if you had the name of a really great doctor and you shared it with me, I'd be like, hey, thanks for the word. Like, I think it's the same with with this, I don't know why so many Jews freak out when Christians like, come. I take like, it hey, as a compliment. Me. No, me I was like, like thank you, you for caring about that me. Great. That's great. You have the right audience here, Al, because we actually we are a bunch of people. We are the three Jews in the world who like being proselytized. Totally. I actually, was, I was just out at B- Brigham Young University talking to these Mormons, and I said, like, I love it when you guys knock on my door back in New Haven. I mean, br- bring it. You know, it makes us feel wanted. Yeah, yeah. No, we well, like it. And 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 if we really have a message, we believe is so important eternally important for people to hear, uh, it, it should be shared out of joy. Yes, rather it than... It's a joyous act of testimony. I, I like the illustration given of, you, you know, you're recommending a doctor. It's, uh, it's a natural part of conversation because you want to share this with someone. Liel, they're going to use that now. Like, okay. they're going to be Jews brought to Christ because... They, they, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a good cardiologist. Right. <laughs> Al, if you want to bring Jews, using doctor metaphors is actually... Oh, it's perfect. It's advisable. You might... You might bring that back to the seminars. But no, uh, note taken. Note taken. So 
Now, and I'm being perfectly serious here. I realize this sounds like a cheap shot, but to be clear, in Southern Baptist theology, because there are different Christian theologies, but in Southern Baptist teaching, if Jews don't get baptized, will we, like anyone else not baptized, will we go to hell when we die? Well, first of all, in in our theology, baptism is an act of obedience after salvation. It's not the act of salvation. Okay. Uh, but you are you are right in the most important issue. Yes, we believe that anyone who does not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ w- will eventually face God's judgment without the righteousness of Christ. And uh, and so yeah, it's a heaven or hell issue here. Uh, difficult to talk about because none of us deserves heaven. That's the whole point of the Christian gospel. Well, the whole idea of grace, I think, uh, is is such an incredibly powerful notion. I mean, I would imagine life with it, with with this notion that, you know, someone gave you this great gift and now you're free to be as flawed as you can. I, I would really imagine that emotionally that makes a world of difference. I mean, for us, it really is all, all self-reliance and, and anxiety and relationship with this much more amorphous creator that we know we can never know. Yeah, you know, the the biggest thing for uh, for Christians in terms of grace is understanding that there is no way we're up to this, period. The, there, the, the most apparently righteous among us ends up falling infinitely short of God's standard. And uh, so, so grace is it, uh, when we understand, and, and grace has a name, you know, Jesus Christ. And uh, so that, that, that explains what I think internally is the sweetness of the Christian faith in terms of a, of a relationship with Christ, knowing that, that without him, we, we would be literally, actually without hope. Now, if someone listening hears this and believes that they want to learn more about your gospel, where, where would you advise them to go? I mean, is there to, a book or is, something is what Mark is asking. <laughs> I could read about Jesus, because we don't know. Maybe a movie. No, I was wondering, yeah, like... The, uh, yeah, I, I would say there's a there's a book by John Stott, S-C-O-T-T, and it's just called Basic Christianity, and that, that, that name really gets to it. That that really explains what the gospel is, Can I just what, say th- what Christianity is. Can I just say thank you for not recommending C.S. Lewis? If one more evangelical tells me what I need to do is read C.S. Lewis, I'm really I'm going to shoot that person and then myself. And then you will never go to, uh, you know, where... Don't no, do can... that. Don't do that. <laughs> Okay. Let me ask you this question. It's kind of, you know, pertinent to all these things we've just been talking about. Why do you think so many people, Jews, but also, you know, secular non-Jews, are so deeply freaked out by, by, by evangelicals and see them as a sort of, you know, sinister force in American politics or political life that is out there to kind of like cast a dark shadow on, on this entire nation? Why, why this animosity? Well, I do think you have a conflict of uh, of moral visions, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see. I, I I think your question is really interesting. It'll it'll be fascinating to see if that uh, if that kind of sense of evangelicals as threat continues when uh, when it's clear that evangelicals are in a minority position in this culture rather than uh, at least a, a threatening to become a majority. So I, I you know I think we do have between more secular Americans and evangelicals a very honest and very deep disagreement. Uh, at the very level of moral vision and public policy. And so I, I think that's the real issue. Suppose you, you were appointed an advisor to whoever the next president is and, and tasked with coming up with a five-pronged action plan uh, of, of getting this country on the right moral track again. What, what would be these five elements, commandments, if you will? No, I, 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 I understand that. The first thing I start with is marriage, reprivileging marriage, and making very clear that uh, that marriage is at the center of civilization. 
uh, defined as the union of a man and a woman. And then uh, the the protection of the family, and uh, you know, going back to the fact that the family's been stripped of a lot of its protections, and and frankly, I would have to encourage those families to have children, uh, which is uh, one of the most society strengthening acts uh, that can take place. Uh, I would uh, I would try my best to, uh, to to make sure that we were using every avenue of government influence to uh, to combat such things as sex trafficking and pornography and uh, the, the uh, abuse of sexuality. And uh, I, I would seek to protect people in terms of uh, laws related to drugs and uh, the kinds of, uh, of uh, behaviors that are very self-destructive. There are limitations to, uh, to what the law can do, but I would at least want the law on the right side. So you're not in favor of decriminalizing marijuana? No, I don't think that's the most important moral issue facing the nation. But uh, uh, I'm with the governor of Colorado himself said the last thing we need is more people intoxicated or uh, under the influence of something. I'm not sure about that. I think we need different people intoxicated. <laughs> that's a good campaign. <laughs> you know, like, I think, you know, I mean, there's some tension in all the things you're saying. You want us to have more kids, but then you don't want us to, like, have a few whiskeys right. after they go to bed, Al. Sir, kids are really hard. Uh, we, we often need... Uh, uh, resorts. All right. <laughs> all right. So listen, uh, I know y- you have to run. I hear that you have a couple questions for us. Uh, what what can this panel of Jewish experts tell you? Yeah, I had one question kind of deep, and the, and the other just really of, of interest to me. The deeper question is, uh, and I know Norman Potharts and others have written about this, why are, uh, are the, the, uh, the Jewish communities in America... Why do they tend so democratic, predictably, at least uh, at least since World War II? Liel, do you want to take... Uh, you, you go, you go you first. Go first. We, I think we have some differing answers here. My answer is that at this point in history, I, I really don't freaking know. Yeah, Liel's giving to Marco Rubio, so can we say that? On, on, I, know, I know it's public, correct? On the public airwaves? Well, why not? All right. I think oh. on social issues, Jews just have aligned themselves throughout history with sort of more democratic causes. Um so, I mean, that's where I always sort of imagine that hold being like a social issue thing. So I actually was I was thinking about this. I was turning it over in my head. And as you were speaking, I realized one of the most important reasons, which is that we see Republicans, especially in the last 20 or 30 years, as being allied with evangelicals who want to turn us into Christians. I want to think a theological. I think that's really no, don't Leo. Don't you think that's part of it? That a lot of Jews they are wary of people who want to rob them of their Judaism, especially as we get less religious and our Judaism gets more attenuated. We get more concerned that our kids and our relatives are susceptible to evangelism. And, it, and evangelicals are Republicans, by and large. I think there's, there's actually a theological component. I think that this notion of being a chosen people, but never really being told why you were chosen or what you were chosen to do, mm. sort of has driven us through the centuries to this kind of, you know, it's almost like a cosmic joke to have chosen. To have been chosen means spending eternity wondering what it means to have been chosen. And so it drives us to constantly not seek answers, but ask questions. And these questions frequently are about, you know, issues of social justice and repairing the world and, and uh, all these good things that we speak about incessantly and occasionally even do. Uh, and and uh, naturally or, or historically, that has often aligned itself with progressive causes. I am beginning to think, and I hope I'm right, that as the uh, balance uh, politically in this country shifts uh, and as the, uh, shall we say, kind of um, the, the political alignment uh, uh, is, is, is kind of in the mix uh, and when people are beginning to care 
uh, more and more about stuff like, you know, global affairs, uh, about the rising tide of jihad, uh, about the kind of ins- global insecurity that has been wrought upon us, uh, more and more Jews will change their minds. But we also, you know, we have a bad history with people who are we see as censorious. You know, I mean, we, we so when the current censoriousness seems to be against gay families and their children, you know, the Mormon church the other day. And I realize it's, it's a vexed question whether they're evangelical Christians or not. I would say that the current but, censoriousness is against speech on college campuses by radical, rabid liberals. Well, at this point in time. You, you would. But uh, when censoriousness is is seen as the Republicans bag, uh, then Jews want no part of it. I mean, they don't historically we actually don't like authority. Right. And so some Christians have, you know, they're in America. There's a kind of loose association of conservative Christians with wanting to influence the politics. I mean, how about that? I probably should have started there. Right. Like we don't really want an evangelical stamp on our uh, on our government documents, politics, pledges, all those things. I honestly don't think that evangelicals want that either. I, no, I agree. I agree. Well, some do. Some do. But do the, we have an evangelical on the line who can address this? <laughs> Instead of three Jews talking I mean, among I themselves? mean, Al, do you think this is a Christian nation? Well, I think it's inexplicable without Christian roots, but I, I don't expect the government itself to be a confessing uh, entity. I'm not, I'm not looking for the government to confess Christianity, but rather to honor uh, religious liberty. That's a very different thing. But so, I, don't no, I, I agree with you. So, liberty is. So, for example, like prayers at football games are pretty much the grossest things in the world to me. Like football is this highly secular thing. It doesn't have much to do with God unless you take the belief that everything has to do with God, which is a permissible belief. But the idea that you would turn football. Yeah. But the idea that you would turn this civic right into an opportunity in some cities for Christian prayer uh, is is perfectly good enough reason for Jews to run uh, toward the Democratic Party. So maybe we could just could we agree that that's Christian prayer is, is at football games. Bad idea, Al. No, no, I wouldn't say it's a bad idea. I wouldn't overblow its significance either way. I mean, understand that. I, I mean, my my encouragement to uh, to you would be not not to not to hear that as a threat, but as a, an an honest uh, community uh, assessment of uh, of what they commonly want to say. But on the other hand, as a Christian theologian, I am not overblowing the theological significance of a prayer before a football game. Uh, let's put it this way: that 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 is not. I don't overread that any more than when uh, you know right. on the national coin we see in God in God we trust. I, I don't see a major theological statement that uh, is intended by people there. If prayer before football games worked, then the Eagles would have won the last five Super Bowls. <laughs> so that was your trivial question. What's your really important one, Al? Well, that was the important one. I was kidding. What's the really trivial one? No, I, it's, it's, it's not trivial to me. I, I, I'm curious, uh, what is the best Jewish-themed movie that you would recommend an evangelical to watch? Uh, I would recommend Spielberg, Steven. Spielberg, the Steven. <laughs> the canon? Okay. No, that's not. He's so oh, no. Well, well, we tell the magazine, actually, uh, you know, we, we have um, convened a panel of Jewish experts to answer just this question uh, with a list of the 100 greatest Jewish films of all time. Uh, the least Jewish film of all time uh, we found to be Schindler's List, which is a movie about a Christian savior uh, who, you know, takes some right. Jews out of out of some hardships. Um, and the most uh, Jewish-themed movie of all time we found to be E.T., uh, a movie about a, a strange, uh, uh, somewhat misshapen creature who arrives in America with uh, supreme intellectual and, and powers and, and, and affinity towards, you know, medical sciences. Uh, and uh, thrives despite his profound weirdness. 
Uh, it's a great movie. If you haven't watched it recently, you should. Uh, Al, what's the best Southern Baptist-themed movie? Well, that's the problem. We don't do good movies. Well, you haven't taken over Hollywood the way we have. <laughs> your your that, control that, of the vast... That's not so much our territory. Your vast media conspiracy is significantly weaker than ours. Well, it is. I mean, we, we've got some really good uh, 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 Christian-themed movies that have come out, especially holding up family and, and, and values. But in terms of comedies, I think... I, I think Christians can do serious movies very well, but I think in terms of comedies, uh, I think the the, the uh, Jewish filmmakers have the entire market. Al, I know you have to go. Thank you so much for joining us. It's really been it's been an honor, and I want to remind everyone that your book "We Cannot Be Silent" is available pretty much everywhere, and people should check out your podcast "Thinking in Public" for a deep, deep look into a fine evangelical mind as he talks with assorted schmucks like me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, it's been a, a lot of fun to talk with you guys. I really do appreciate the conversation. All right. Take care. Thanks Thank so much, you. Al. Bye-bye. Uh, our Mazel Tovs of the Week, Stephanie. My Mazel Tov this week is for Lorena O'Neill, um, a freelance writer in New Orleans who is, has her first article on Tablet this week. Um, it's about uh, LGBT activist um, clergy who are supporting Black Lives Matter. Liel? Uh, mine is to Hedy Lamar, who would have celebrated her 101st birthday this week. And in addition to being an incredible actress, also invented the technology that currently enables Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and GPS. That is so weird. My Mazel Tov is to the University of Missouri football team. I don't watch football, and I've <laughs> scarcely ever been to Missouri. But it's really nice to see athletes being more than athletes. It's nice to see politicized athletes. I think that's pretty, pretty dope. We love mail. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of world-renowned Jewish experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We may well read them on the air. One little bit of mail this week. We got an email from Rabbi Jeff Goldwasser in Cranston, Rhode Island, who was offended by uh, Liel's joke last week about the cats being deported, being forcibly resettled from Israel. Liel made a joke about Meowschwitz. And Rabbi Goldwasser wrote, Meowschwitz, are you freaking kidding me? That was obscene. Don't do it again. I think you just did it. Oh, I just did it. And Rabbi, we will do it again and again and again because we believe that if there is a subject somewhere out there in the universe that you cannot joke about, you probably cannot talk rationally and critically about it. And it is simply uh, unfeasible for us for anything to exist above reproach. And so, Rabbi, this one goes out to you. Mark, what's worse than biting into an apple and finding a worm in it? Uh, biting into an apple and finding half a worm in it? No, the Holocaust. <laughs> Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Unorthodox is a production of Tablet Magazine. It's produced by Julie Subrin with superior assistance from Sarah Ivry. Rabbinic supervision this week is by uh, Fred Hyman, Rabbi Fred Hyman from New Haven. I haven't met you yet, but I hear you're a mensch. Kosher slaughtering is by Ben Carson. He's a doctor. Our website is tabletmag.com, and our music is by Golem. Sign up for our print mag. Text tablet to 66866. 